This is the Late Round Podcast with your host, JJ Zacharisa. What's up, everyone? It's JJ Zacharyson, the editor-in-chief at FanDuel and at NumberFire.com, and this is episode 327 of the Late Round Podcast, one of the many shows that are part of the FanDuel Podcast Network. Thanks for tuning in. There was a big debate on Twitter this week about whether or not teams that are out of the fantasy football playoffs should still be able to play the waiver wire, and I got questions related to that as a result, so I figured I'd kick off the show with my thoughts on it. As is the case with most questions like this, I just looked at the rulebook. If your league doesn't have any rules around non-playoff teams adding and dropping players, then league managers should be able to do whatever they want. If there are rules, then follow the rules. I think it's that simple. If the question is, how would I want my league to be structured, I don't really know if I have a strong preference. And you can look at it from both perspectives. Let's assume everyone can still add and drop players. Okay, cool. Then it's no different than what you typically run into each and every week. But let's assume only playoff teams can. That cuts your competition in half, or even more than half, which also means it's going to be easier to get players off the waiver wire. And that also means that if a playoff team has a weakness, it's going to be easier for that playoff team to make up for that weakness. So to those who stand on the side of non-playoff teams being inactive once the playoffs start, is that totally fair? Should playoff teams have an easier time to boost their teams? Because you could argue for the teams that are in great shape and the teams that are in first place, they're going to have fiercer competition now. And that's not as fair either. So I don't think that there's a clear-cut answer here necessarily. What I think your league should realistically do is make non-playoff teams have to play for something. If this is an issue in your league. That way everyone's still active and the non-playoff teams aren't playing the waiver wire just to screw over a playoff team. They're doing it for their own team's benefit. Now before getting into this week's questions, I want to let you guys know that we've got another weekly free roll for all you FanDuel Podcast Network listeners. Just head to FanDuel.com slash league slash JJ, that's my name JJ, enter a lineup, and have a chance to win free number fire premium and even a little bit of cash. That's FanDuel.com slash league slash JJ. The first question this week is from at Holden underscore Hill. Safe to trust Josh Allen for the fantasy football playoffs. So I talked about Allen on this week's matchup show and how I'm nervous about his matchup against the Ravens. I'm just as nervous about the Week 15 matchup against Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh and then his Week 16 matchup in New England. It's the hardest three-game stretch for any quarterback in the league. Now, based on schedule this season, Buffalo quarterbacks, or Josh Allen, they've scored about three points above expectation. Allen's averaged a little over 20 points per game when his opponents have given up 17 points per game. So if you go by that quick and dirty method of how he'll score fantasy points over the next three weeks, then you're looking at a 15-point outing for Allen in Week 14, a 16.1 in week 15, and then an 11.1 in week 16. You're looking at very average numbers. Now, clearly, that's just a very high-level way of looking at this, but I do think it's interesting nonetheless. The thing is, Allen's playing better than he was earlier in the year. But the same could be said for Baltimore's defense and Pittsburgh's defense. That's what makes this difficult to predict. My take is that he'll be a higher-end QB2 in the next two matchups when you combine the two games. Meaning, in a single week, we may see him as more of a QB2. So some of you may be forced to start him, but if a player like Baker Mayfield is on the wire, I think he makes sense against Cincinnati and Arizona over the next two weeks over Josh Allen. I could end up being wrong, but I think it's logical. This next question is from at pardon my French. It says, can you start Carson and Penny in a half PPR league? So as you guys know, I don't do start sick questions on this show because they're not very engaging. 
It would be a boring ass show if all I did was answer start sick questions. I don't really view this question as that though, because it has more depth. The question really is, can you trust starting two running backs from the same team? The answer, of course, is that it depends. I don't know who your alternatives are, but I'd also be a little cautious of recency bias. Now, as a team this year, Seattle ranks 10th in the NFL in fantasy points scored at the running back position. That's not bad, but they're not even close to the best backfield out there. Let's keep in mind that Seattle posted 37 points last week and scored four offensive touchdowns, and that three of those touchdowns went to running backs. We can't expect that week in and week out. So I still think Chris Carson is more in the RB2 range and Penny's more of a flex. Starting them both in your lineup should provide a decent floor, but if you want a ceiling, you're going to need Seattle to go off. That can happen with Russell Wilson at quarterback, but to expect it week in and week out wouldn't be reasonable. This next question is from at Alex Ray Best. What current league winning quarterback is more likely to flop in the fantasy playoffs? Ryan Fitzpatrick or Ryan Tannehill? Now this obviously depends on how you define flop. But given how Tennessee has managed Ryan Tannehill, he's probably less safe than Ryan Fitzpatrick, as crazy as that sounds. I think both are going to be fine, but Tannehill has thrown the ball fewer than 20 times per game on average over his last three contests. It's easy to see how that could go south or how the Titans could score more touchdowns on the ground than via the air, which would torpedo his value. So Fitzpatrick technically has the better floor, I would say, but both players should be fine. This next question is from at Ventura GS. I have a hard time deciding when and if I have to bench one of my studs. Aaron Jones has not been producing lately. Should I just hope for the 30 plus point game? My bench backs are McCoy, Singletary, and Damian Williams. How do you approach the playoffs? P.S. I'm on a buy in week 14. Man, don't let that one dude know that I'm talking about Aaron Jones again on this podcast. He may never recover. But I've talked about this a little bit in the past. And the first realization to have is that the term stud is subjective. Is Aaron Jones really a stud? To me, a stud doesn't have three fairly worthless performances in a four-game stretch. Do we know that Aaron Jones' ceiling is as high as anyone in fantasy? When Jamal Williams is out, definitely. But yeah, he can easily give you a top five week. So you just have to weigh all of that when you're making your start-sit decision. I'd argue that the other backs aren't necessarily a ton better, and they all offer similar floors. So Jones is probably still the guy that you're going to rely on most. But matchups can dictate who you play, as can recent usage. Things can change in the NFL for running backs in just one game, like we saw last week with Ronald Jones and Tevin Coleman. But I wouldn't consider Aaron Jones a stud right now if that makes this whole question easier to think about. This next question says, when you say that yards correlate heavily to touchdowns, what's the ratio of yards per touchdown? Do the numbers heavily differ between receiving yards and rushing yards? How does that work for players like James White, who are mainly receiving backs. Yes, you guys know that I cite yards to touchdowns a lot on this show to help show regression. There are other ways to do it, like Mike Clay's OTD metric, but I found that it does help show regression, and it's a really easy to understand concept for people to grasp. To answer your question, though, every position has a different yards per touchdown rate. Over the last five years, wide receivers have scored for every 164 receiving yards. Tight ends have scored on about every 132 yards. And then it's different for running backs both on the ground and through the air. So when things calculate each week, they're calculating those individual categories. A running back isn't expected to score at the same rate as a wide receiver, who's not expected to score at the same rate as a tight end. It's all specific to that player's position. This next question is from at Campos underscore FF. Hey JJ, what's your projection for CMC's usage now that Ron Rivera is gone and the Panthers have virtually nothing to play for? 
you know, maybe it's foolish for me to think this way, but I'm not really changing the way that I view CMC. Carolina's coaching staff still have their jobs on the line, and they want to show that they're good at what they do. Until we see reports that McCaffrey is going to be less involved, which could happen, but until that happens, I'm expecting typical CMC output. This next question is from at Mr. Seth Harvey. Hey, JJ, longtime listener, first time tweeter. How do we approach talent versus matchups in the fantasy football playoffs? Do we stick with our guys who got us there or play the smash spots with flyers, i.e. Darnold versus Miami or Lamar versus Buffalo? So I got questions similar to this one quite a bit this week. The question of how do things change with your start sit choices in the fantasy football playoffs? And my answer is that they really don't. Sometimes you might make a choice that seems a little bit safer because it's the choice that you can live with if things don't go your way. But the goal is still the same unless you're in a league where the playoff rules are different and not just head-to-head. So don't go crazy overthinking these things. And play Lamar Jackson. His floor has essentially been Sam Darnold's ceiling. Now the last question this week is from at that Gruden guy. There are a lot of listeners with week 14 buys. Who should we be stashing for weeks 15 and 16 with league mates chasing only the good week 14 matchups? We may be off this week, but seems like there should be way more week 15 to 16 chat happening now. Thanks. So the first thing is that if you're in a league with a kicker, you can probably drop that kicker and hold on to a running back handcuff for someone to stash for next week. Like you can drop a kicker for Darwin Thompson just to see how the Chiefs might use him. And if they don't, then you can just drop Darwin next week for a kicker. That's one advantage that you have with a buy. Now, as for players to stash, the answer is the same it usually is. Everyone I've talked about on my 15 transaction show are players that I would be adding off the waiver wire. 15 transactions has had a playoff focus for a while now. Now, with that being said, the best schedules for passing attacks are probably Tampa Bay, who get Detroit and Houston. Jacksonville gets Oakland and Atlanta. Miami, they get the Giants and the Bengals. And then the Giants, they get Miami and Washington. So depending on what you need, you could target players in those offenses. And then for defensive streamers, the top ones for week 15 are likely Kansas City against Denver and possibly the Giants against Miami. But I'd much rather trust Kansas City at home against Denver. And then in week 16, Indianapolis gets Carolina in Indianapolis. Kansas City still might be playable against Chicago. And then potentially Washington who get the Giants. The problem with defenses right now is that the percent rostered numbers are all over the place. So it's hard to give super usable and actionable information without knowing who's available in your league. But hopefully that all helps. That's going to do it for today's show, though. Thanks to all of you for listening. If you've yet to subscribe to the Late Round Podcast, make sure you are by searching for it pretty much anywhere podcasts can be found. And don't forget to follow me on Twitter at LateRoundQB. And as always, if you listen to this show on Apple Podcasts, do me a huge favor and leave a rating and review. Thanks, everyone. Good luck this weekend, and I'll talk to you next week.